feel like we're supposed to do voice warm-ups or something. How do we start this? <laughs> <laughs> it's the theater kid in us. It's it's a habit that's been ingrained in us. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> uh, so welcome to our podcast. This is the Frights and Bites podcast. And I'm Alex, and this is my co-host, Miranda. Is that, is that the only title you're going to say for me? or? <laughs> Uh, we were both graduates of the University of Toronto from the Cinema Studies program, and we've also been in a relationship for almost three years. There it is. <laughs> a very, very loving and very wonderful relationship, and a very film-filled relationship, given our program, so I feel like this is a pretty appropriate um, thing that we're going to try and take on. Yeah, I would say so. So... Uh, our podcast is going to be about horror movies. I'm a big fan of horror movies, and Miranda doesn't really know much about horror movies. Nor have I really wanted to in the past. I don't like being scared. I don't like the feeling of being scared. I don't like the atmosphere that is created to make you feel scared in these movies, so I've um, purposely avoided them for a long time. So every week, I will be showing Miranda a horror movie, and we'll be discussing it, and we'll be talking about it in the lens of uh, horror and romance and all that other fun stuff. Because <laughs> we know this isn't the first podcast that's, like, fan shows non-fan content in hopes of fan, like, sharing the love of the content with the non-fan. But um, we're going to try and tie in our relationship to that angle and just have fun with it and see where it goes. <laughs> So we thought there would be, like, nothing more fitting than the first episode to be about a Canadian horror movie, and specifically one that was filmed at our university. Ooh. <laughs> and that movie is going to be, to start off this whole podcast, is going to be Black Christmas from 1974, directed by Bob Clark, who is a Canadian, and it was written by Roy Moore. Huh. Okay, I wasn't expecting this one. I don't know why, because you mentioned it a few weeks ago, but for some reason I was not expecting to start with this one. So this will be interesting. I'm excited. A little bit about the background of this film is it was uh, Bob Clark's fifth release after The Emperor's New Clothes in 1967, She-Man in 1967, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things from 1972, and Death Dream from 1974. So that's a bit of his uh, history. It sounds very on brand. Yeah, they're all weird horror movies. And it was inspired by... Actually, before I get into the plot, do you know anything about the plot, or can you guess anything from the title? Uh, Margot Kidder. I know Margot Kidder's <laughs> in it. Um, I mean... Horror Christmas time. I'm. It, it's going to be some disjointed, warped holiday thing. That's literally all I know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a Christmas movie, and Margaret Margot Kidder is in it, um, along with Olivia Hussey, who's like the the star of it. She's the main character, Jess. And just like a basic summary before we get really into it is it's about a group of sorority sisters um, that are being stalked by a killer who's leaving uh, threatening phone calls on their uh, cellular device. What does that sound like? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a lot of different horror movies. <laughs> okay, true. <laughs> Um, it was actually inspired by the babysitter fable, which um, is the story of a babysitter who is getting threatening phone calls while babysitting a few kids, and they're coming from inside the house. 
and also a series of murders that took place in Montreal, Quebec. Oh, that's lo- not lovely, but that's that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, has some true uh, crime tie-ins. And as mentioned, uh, it was filmed mostly at the University of Toronto, specifically University College, which is the college that re- we graduated from, mm-hmm. as well as Trinity College and I think Hart House as well, but I might be wrong with that. Uh, the budget was six six hundred twenty thousand. <laughs> Um, and it was distributed by Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, they called it a different title in the States. It was Silent Night, Evil Night in the <laughs> States. Because uh, they thought Black Christmas would be too much of an exploitation, uh, black exploitation. Um, it's a subcategory of exploitation films centering about uh, around black uh, main characters and black narratives. And they thought that wouldn't really be appealing for uh, U.S. audiences for some reason with the title like that. So... It actually bombed in the U.S. when it first came out. It did better in Canada, but then with uh, home video, it did better in the U.S. later on. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of, from what you've told me about it, it kind of seems like a home video, darling. So I'm not entirely surprised if that was the outcome. Also, I can, it does kind of sound like a black exploitation film if you know nothing else about it. So I do kind of see why they <laughs> assumed that. Like, it sounds like a Tyler Perry film almost. Yeah, it kind of does. So, uh, yeah, that's a bit about the movie and a bit more about this podcast is basically we'll watch the film, we'll take uh, some notes, we'll take a break, we'll come back and then we'll talk about it, we'll discuss it and we have a few different categories and questions that we want to ask every time for the podcast and the three questions just in advance are which characters have the most chemistry on a scale of one bone to ten bones how high would we rank this as a movie date option and the third question is what romantic meal would go with this because you know the title we chose frights and bites after a few trials and we thought you know it kind of sounds like a movie uh, a movie and popcorn or movie and you know dinner and i can't think of the last time we watched anything where we weren't also eating during it i think it's just become like an essential component of our relationship that we're always eating something when we watch movies yeah so just to go with like the romance and horror theme i think it would be like a good thing that we will recommend uh a cuisine (laughs) to go with this movie yeah yeah our our recent graduate expertise level of cuisine which is not not the most elaborate but we try so (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, without further ado, we'll get into it. Yay. Welcome back to the Frights and Bites podcast, where we discuss horror movies and romance and fun stuff like that. So this week we're talking about Black Christmas from 1974, and we just watched it, so we have some thoughts. We have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I mean, I do. I know this isn't your first time seeing it, so maybe you've like come to accept a lot thoughts. of it. But I have, I have multiple thoughts about this. So we're just gonna first. We're just gonna give a bit of the summary for you guys, and we're gonna leave out spoilers at first. We'll talk a bit about like the basic themes and 
things we've noticed, and then we're going to go into a spoiler zone, so at that point we'll spoil more and we'll talk about more things. <laughs> Gives you time to, you know, pause this and actually watch the movie, because, you know, we're going on 44 years of this, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the movie's about a group of sorority sisters that are getting... Um, thrown in phone calls and the sorority sisters are mainly Jess who is our main character and played by Olivia Hussey from Romeo and Juliet fame there's Barb who is played by Margaret Kidder Um, there's Claire who's played by Lynn Griffin and their boyfriends Jess's boyfriend Peter who is played by Keir Dulia yeah, here or care? I'm guessing it's here, though. It's, it looks Irish. Yeah, from 2001, A Space Odyssey uh, fame. And Chris, who was played by Arthur Hindle. Hindle. <laughs> yeah, Hindle. So basically the girls are getting these threatening phone calls around Christmas at a Christmas party. And one of the girls, Claire, uh, played by Lynn Griffin, is um, killed at the party, but none of the other girls know that she was. And her father is looking for her, and this other teenage girl is also murdered around the same time. So this small town is being um, slaughtered up, basically. (laughs) That's a nice way to put it. And all while the sorority is getting these threatening phone calls, so, you know... Two and two together, um, it's probably the same person. Or so we think. Or so we think. <laughs> Especially one of those boyfriends of theirs. <laughs> Maybe that's the better thing to say, or, or so we think about, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, initially this film, uh, on a first viewing, it has a lot in common with Halloween, uh, by John Carpenter from 1978, such as the POV shots, the final, final girl tropes, And, you know, it was basically actually the precursor to Halloween. Halloween was meant kind of to be a sequel by the two directors. Which is funny because you don't hear about this. Like, I know you said, like, from a cult standpoint, this one is very popular now. But this isn't the one that you hear about at all in, like, the more, like, mainstream canon of, like, if you're going to know horror films, you're at least going to know this and this. So it's interesting that, like, as the influence, it didn't really... Yeah. Have that same, like, mainstream staying power that the other ones seem to. Yeah, like, it, 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 like, disappeared for a while. I think it was because of the internet that this film um, regained popularity. Like, I only heard about it from the internet and uh, seeing GIFs and video stills and stuff like that. I never heard about it in any, like, you-must-watch-this uh, movie guides or anything like that. So that is very interesting, especially since it uh, popularized, or I guess originated not popularized because it wasn't that popular when it came out, the murderer's POV shot. Uh, for the majority of this film, we don't actually see the action that's going on, but we see the um the gaze of uh the like murderer actually like we're put in his um his mindset and his uh eyes basically watching these girls which is very unsettling and very modern um you don't really think about those type of pov shots in any film predating like the late 70s so that's interesting as well as the final girl subversion so um, as people know, probably, the final girl trope, uh, it's uh, that she's usually, she's the last girl standing in a horror movie, she usually defeats the villain, um, and she's usually this pure, virginal, you know, nice girl, 
Um, and she survives because of her purity and her niceness. Uh, such examples are from Nightmare on Elm Street, Nancy. She refuses to have sex with her boyfriend, Glenn, uh, throughout the majority of the film, and she ends up surviving, mostly because of that. Uh, and, of course, Halloween with Lori as well. And her friend, uh, played by PJ Souls, gets murdered after having sex. So it started the whole, you know, if you have sex in a movie, you're going to die in a movie, which it also goes back to the code era of films, especially horror films, where if a character engaged in any controversial behavior, such as drinking, having sex, uh, deviant criminal behavior, they were punished by the code. They had to die at the end. So it goes into that. But in here, it's interesting because Jess, our main character, she doesn't fall into this because she has had premarital sex and she's actually pregnant and wants an abortion, which her boyfriend Peter doesn't want her to have. Yes, and I think it's fair to say we hate Peter. <laughs> Peter is awful. Um, no, like, it's... And it's interesting, like, from... I don't even think they were trying to do this from, like, a feminism standpoint or anything. But the way that the film kind of inadvertently has... I'm not going to say it has an explicit pro-choice message, but it's very much... Like, Peter looks very much in the wrong for how dismissive he is of just wanting to have an abortion. So I thought that was really interesting um, for the time frame of the film, that yeah. how much they seem to be pushing that. Um and it really made him look suspicious, I have to say. That, like, real early on, you think it's going to be Peter because, like, he's just being real <laughs> immature with how he's handling it and very controlling and just all the makings of, like, someone who is an aggressor and will take that out in, like, very unhealthy ways. Because <laughs> well, we even see it with the piano smashing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so Peter is also a, a, a music student at Trinity College, and he smashes a piano and has all these angry outbursts even before uh, Jess tells him that she want, she definitely wants an abortion. So we as audience already have, like, a negative view of him. And it's obviously she's the main character of the film, so... And we want her to survive the murderer that's going after her. So she's seen as a sympathetic character, even though she wants an abortion, which is very progressive, especially for 1974. Mm -hmm. Or not not explicitly a Trinity College, we should say, <laughs> but the music scenes were filmed at Trinity College, which was um, <laughs> funny as former U of T students just kind of see the loop between like the aggressive character in a college <laughs> with a questionable history. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you're watching this and you're from Trinity College, like, I'm sorry we that you well. go to Trinity College. <laughs> <laughs> we mean well, we mean well, it's all fun. Um, yeah, I, I mean, my standpoint when I'm thinking about these films is less like the horror knowledge that you have and more... Um, <laughs> the romantic evaluating characters and like their likeliness standpoint because that's usually how I just watch films in general and yeah no I really can't get over Peter it made it a it didn't make it an unenjoyable viewing experience but it definitely created a very unlikable character from the get-go but I'll say this almost all the men in this film were very unlikable for the way that they were gaslighting 
Yeah, definitely. Like, even the police, like, the sorority sisters. Oh, and also, I think I mentioned before, but both of the victims of this murder are, are um, young girls, and the police just, like, completely shrug it off, and when the sorority sisters are, like, we're getting these threatening phone calls, and we think it might be connected to the murderers, the police are just kind of like, yeah, I don't think so. I think it's just, like, a boyfriend that's probably, like, angry at you guys or something, or, like, pl- like joking around with you, don't take it that seriously. And, obviously, the sorority sisters were right the entire time and yeah even the police just shrug them off and yeah their boyfriends are kind of just good for nothing and yeah they're 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 very useless in this honestly (laughs) like at least chris is like trying to find out what happened to claire but it's it's he's very minor in this (laughs) uh no honestly this that's almost what makes the viewing experience of this arguably more unnerving because like um this isn't, like, one of those, like, jump scare, very explicitly terrifying films, but it's very disturbing in, like, the subtlety of it. Um, like, for the murders that we see, we don't necessarily see them actively get murdered, but we see part of them in the frame or the aftermath of them being dead, and that is arguably more disturbing than seeing the action happen because you're left to imagine the process of mm-hmm. it. Um and it just, it created, especially with Claire off the get-go, seeing her uh, suffocated in a bag, which she would cut back, which the film would cut back to for a significant amount of the film, like, throughout, mm-hmm. like, dispersed throughout mm-hmm. the film. Um, that, and then when Mrs. Mack gets murdered and only seeing her feet, and that combined with the gaslighting of the cops and the boyfriends <laughs> was just a really... It's, it's, it's disturbing on an unexpected way, and I think maybe that is the merit of this film is that it's not necessarily relying on easy things. It's very smart with how it creates an atmosphere that makes you like fearful of watching it. It's not an, it's not a tense viewing experience. I will say like I did find it a little bit slow, but also in the sense where it was easy to like, you know, like kind of like cozy in and watch it and kind of just sit back and you weren't like super super like clinging to your chair scared but it was definitely like disturbing where you're constantly thinking about it while you're watching it so which I, I i guess is like decent as like an entry one for you to show me as opposed to like a really outlandish like friday the 13th style slasher where that just would have been like too much so yeah this one it it definitely has like a high body count but we don't actually see um any of these really happen we see the end results which are very you know disgusting but we don't see the process which is how it differentiate differentiates <laughs> itself from um future horror movies so that's interesting um it's yeah um we'll move on to our spoiler zone so we could discuss some spoilers, so if you haven't watched it yet, you can tune out right now. Once again, you're 44 years late, so <laughs> catch up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we we as audience believe that Peter is uh, the murderer up until the very end. And what happens is, uh, so Jess uh, goes upstairs and she finds the rest of the sorority sisters dead. And instead of going outside the door, she goes into the cellar to hide because now she knows that the murderer is inside the house because the police told her that the call, the calls, the threatening calls are coming from inside the house. So she goes to the cellar to hide. And Peter, who's still upset that Jess is having an abortion and he's just like wallowing outside the sorority house, he breaks into the basement. Which is suspicious. 
suspicious. Which is very suspicious. Like, I'm sorry, but, like, how do you not assume (laughs) it's him at this point? Who just breaks into a basement, like, (laughs) casually, unless you can hear screaming and you're trying to help, but he can't. Mm -hmm. He thinks she's there. Yeah, he doesn't even know that she's there. He just breaks in. Yeah, I mean, he thinks she does, but it's to prove that she is as opposed to, like, helping her. Yeah. It's terrifying. He, he doesn't know about the murder inside the house either. So it's like, why is he coming inside? Mm-hmm. It's very suspicious. Um, and then the shots goes elsewhere. And when they come back, it's when the police are invading the sorority house because they finally came to help them. And they find him dead in Jess's arms. And Jess is uh, like near dead herself. So we don't actually see what happened between the two of them that led to this point. But it's pretty much assumed that, you know, she attacked him. He attacked her back. And they both nearly killed each other. Which is, I guess, honestly, a pretty fitting culmination of their relationship and the dynamic that we saw so i will say this if i may if you are showing this to your significant other it can go one of two ways (laughs) either they will be very grateful for you because they will realize that you are not like peter and his very toxic behavior or they will be like oh no do i need to look out for this in this person (laughs) so i would say proceed with caution but if you know that you are not a gaslighter and an <laughs> overall toxic person, then go ahead because this will make you look even better. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you could show this movie to make yourself look like a better romantic partner, definitely. Which is sad because it's really not hard to beat this guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they, the police find that. And then their brilliant idea is that Peter was definitely the m- murderer. And they put Jess in one of the sorority beds. They don't even bring her to the hospital or anything. And they leave the premises of the house uh, to get rid of the dead bodies that they found. Um, leaving Jess alone. And then we see from the killer's perspective, it wasn't Peter. And the killer's still inside the house and he's looking at her. And that's the end. Uh, we don't know if he kills her or if she wakes up and runs away. We don't know what happens after that point. And it is rage-inducing. <laughs> it's a very frustrating ending. Like, I was so quiet for most of the film, because it's like it was, like, effective, but not in, like, the screaming way. But the mm-hmm. ending angered me so much for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. that alone just, like, it will just feeds into the irresponsibility of the cops, which was not a surprise at this point. The mm-hmm. film had already been fueling that. But the worst part is that when the camera pans out, you can see Claire still suffocated in the bag, uh, yeah. From the top window, which means if she's been visible for a week, how could they not see this? And also you see a cop, like, outside, like, guarding the front door. So they probably said for that one cop to stay behind and, like, oh, if you see anything suspicious, like, call us. But he's not inside the house with Jess. So... It's kind of useless. And what I really like about the end of this film is the credits, as uh, the complete duration of the credits has a phone ringing over it. I hate it. I it's mean, very eerie. It's, it's great. It's well done, but I hate it because it's just <laughs> frustrating. And since the murderer isn't Peter, uh, we do know a bit about him, but not that much. We know that he goes by Billy. He's obsessed with a girl named Agnes, and he's very unstable. I will say that terrified me every time he said Agnes because I was wearing my Agnes Varda shirt <laughs> when we watched this because I just thought it would be 
fitting and I love that shirt. So then when he started being like, Agnes, I was like, nope, 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 uncomfortable. <laughs> this is very disturbing. Yeah, he has a very creepy voice and he doesn't say coherent sentences. He says a lot of like very sexual, um, explicit things to the sorority sisters. Uh, but it also doesn't make sense at the same time. It's very the exorcist with how he says things. Uh, and of course, The Exorcist came out a year earlier, so who knows if that was inspired by it. It's really interesting to consider it, yeah, like within the canon of the other ones. Because, yeah, I think the thing that I kept thinking of the most, I guess, besides Halloween, was its similarities to Scream. Yeah, it's very similar to Scream with the phone, uh, threatening phone calls being like a main portion of the movie as well as yeah obviously the the murderer being named billy uh, the gasoline boyfriend motif and of course the final girl subversion so while jess uh subverts it by wanting an abortion and being sexually active sydney also does uh of course uh, spoiler alert she has sex uh, in the climax of Scream. So we, as an audience, assume that she's left for the dead because of the whole, you know, uh, virgins are the only ones that survive the horror movie, but she actually kills Billy instead, her boyfriend, uh, therefore, thereby becoming the final girl and surviving uh, the movie, <laughs> even though she had sex. Feminism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but even, even, even just the voice on the other Yeah, the, the creepy voice. Too, which is funny, I was reading up about the film and apparently the actor that did that he like did like a sort of like handstand kind of thing <laughs> where it was pressing down on his head to like clench his thorax and that's how we got the voice which raises a lot of questions about the health of that situation because like my trained singer brain is like really now hearing that <laughs> but like that's commitment honestly yeah that is commitment like who even played him you know they they never say um is it he's, uncre- is he's, that- un- he's uncredited really yeah. That's so uh, upsetting. It says on Wikipedia, it's Nick Man- Mansuo. Mansuso. So uh, that's interesting. It says he's an Italian-Canadian actor. Makes sense, given most of the film being Canadian people. <laughs> <laughs> and I like a stacked one at that, too. Like, I didn't realize Andrea Martin was in. I didn't even recognize her from mm-hmm. the film while we were watching it until after when I looked up some stuff. Um I think it's just Olivia Hussey and one other character, maybe, that aren't Canadian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely a big Canadian cast. Also, Bob Clark apparently also played Billy, so I guess the two split the role. Which makes sense because the voice changes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because it says that he plays Billy's uh, shadow, the shadow that we see in as the director of the film. It's just like an interesting like self-insert there. Well, Easter egg. I like that. That's cute. Well, not cute, obviously. It's a killer, <laughs> Very but... Very creepy. <laughs> so yeah we're moving on to our three questions to um wrap it up already wow yeah already (laughs) so which characters have the most chemistry on screen okay i've been like thinking about this and like the entire time that i was watching the film knowing that this was gonna be one of the questions we had i was trying to think of a perfect answer and honestly it's the sorority girls Mm -hmm. all of them are so inadequate (laughs) in this film and, like, at least Chris is, like, trying a little bit with Claire, but, mm-hmm. like, it's not working. Peter's terrible. As a joke, I almost said Claire's dad and Mrs. Mac. Oh, yeah. That they had a terrible <laughs> dynamic. And, no, honestly, like, it's the sorority sisters. They band together. They are trying so hard to, like, keep each other alive and look out for each other. Like, that is, like, that's the core 
in terms of the dyna- the dynamics of the characters in the film, it's, that is the core. It's the sorority sisters, which is nice. I was not expecting mm-hmm. that to be a possibility or an answer, but I think, yeah, that's probably the strongest bonds that you have in this film. Yeah, I agree. It's also refreshing to see because usually sorority girls are portrayed in this very, you know, bitchy way mm-hmm. um, and very competitive. But in this one, they really do all care for each other especially in the scene where Jess finds out that the voice is coming from inside the house and instead of running outside, I mean, she tries to, but the door is uh, jammed. But Convenient. <laughs> yeah, conveniently <laughs> jammed. But uh, her first reaction is to check in on her sisters that are upstairs instead of, you know, just saving herself. So I find that very appealing as well. Fair, yeah. Oh, I like this one. So we're our, our chart is bones. That's bones, how we're yeah. ranking it. <laughs> Okay. On a scale of one to ten bones, <laughs> how high would we rank this as a movie date option? Hmm. What do you think? I, I think I know what I would say, but I'm curious what your answer is. It's five to, or it's one to ten, right? One to ten. <laughs> one yeah. to ten, yeah. Um I don't know, maybe like a five. I was thinking it's like a six, yeah. Yeah, like it's very it's like very middle middle ground. It, it's a nice neutral. Nice neutral. Like, it has potential, like I said. Like it's a bit slow, so if you kind of want to like get comfy and like, um, just kind of like it's like it's like a bit of an easy watch, even though it is disturbing. I think because it's not explicitly disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe like yeah, some nice middle ground, like a five or a six. Yeah, and like as mentioned before, um, if you want to feel like a better boyfriend or girlfriend, if you show this and, you know, see the trashy relationships in it, you know, maybe it'll improve your relationship. Or maybe we should go higher, because, like, it's, it's, like, somewhat conversation-engaging, and, like, that's what... Yeah. I know that, at least, like, for us, that's what we usually want when we see a mm-hmm. film together, is, like, people talk about it after. So. It's also very unnerving as well, you know, with the phone calls and... Which is... Yeah, maybe that is kind of demerit. Yeah, maybe five or six. <laughs> and like okay. the whole like, <laughs> like we never really know who this Agnes is that Billy's talking about. But I think one of the theories is that they were siblings and they were both like sexually abused by their parents or oh, something God. like that. So yeah, with that can <laughs> um too maybe it's not the best like first date movie. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> and the third question is, which romantic meal would go with this movie? Okay. I had my mind made up about 10 minutes into seeing this. I knew exactly what would be the right dish for it. Okay. And I am going to say a nice, cozy lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> because it's very... Um, I'm going to blame this on, like, the 70s mm-hmm. aesthetic of it and also, like, the Canadian, like, coldness of the film. <laughs> but I feel like when it's, like, snowy out and you're in, like, an environment that has, like, a lot of, like muted brown tones mm-hmm. like you just kind of want like that indoor like cozy cabin feeling and for some reason for me that means lasagna i don't mean like yeah. i don't know how universal this opinion is but like <laughs> it's like a slow cooking kind of pasta meal and like you feel good eating it cause it's kind of like a guilty indulgence because of all the cheese and the sauce <laughs> to it but it's not like a super gluttonous option either um it's an easy thing to I mean, cutting it's a bit hard sometimes with the cheese, but I feel like it is a decent, like, meal to, like, share together. It's, like, a crowd pleaser, so there's a good chance that both of you will enjoy it. (laughs) And, yeah, I just think it suits, like, I think it suits the winter mood of the film the most. So I think a nice 
lasagna, probably mm-hmm. paired with wine of some sort. Yeah, like red wine or yeah. something. Yeah, see, probably red wine. I don't like red wine. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a white wine and rosé gal, so <laughs> I wouldn't personally want with red wine, but that being said, it probably would go better with red wine. Something very, like, festive, I True. would say. And the Fruit bread. Cake. Fruit cake. <laughs> Whoa, fruitcake? <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's a Christmas movie, so... Are you team fruitcake? Do you no, like... no, I don't okay. like fruitcake. <laughs> I was going to say, I that is... Not a, that's not a deal breaker, but that is definitely <laughs> walking the line. Um, yeah, it's just like that nice, festive, mm-hmm. cozy feeling. And like, of course, bread to go yeah. with it because you can't have saucy pasta without bread to sop it up afterwards. It's like <laughs> essential. And then it's cute because then if you get like sauce on the cheek, you'd be like, oh, you missed a little spot there. So then you get like the flirtiness in, which is like essential to consuming food is having like a like, flirt aspect to it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> well, essential to consuming food when you're on a date. But like what happens if like while you're consuming this food, it's like one of those scenes where we see like the bodies, you know, like. <laughs> if one partner is really hungry then and not as freaked out by it then they get more of the no not the (laughs) oh my goodness you took that somewhere else no 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 i was gonna say yeah okay say like you're starving yeah you are unfazed by this content oh yeah i am in the middle of eating a nice meaty lasagna yeah and like miss matt gets murdered (laughs) i'm not feeling too good about eating this because of like the meatiness of it Mm -hmm. you get more lasagna out of it true okay so i think um yeah it balances out i guess exactly it all balances out but also it's not like like there's meat sauce in lasagna but it's not like (laughs) having like a roast or something i think i there's a very minor chance i would ever recommend a roast for any of the films that we're gonna watch throughout (laughs) this because that would just feel weird (laughs) yeah it's like which one will make you not vomit the most exactly so nice classic crowd pleaser lasagna yeah at least we don't like see like any of the murders actually like happening for their full durations so that's that's always good Although it almost, like you said before, it almost makes it more disturbing because then you have yeah. to imagine it, but, you know. While eating, it's a bit better, I would say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, yeah, so any final thoughts or anything like that? Um, I mean, it was fun watching it from a university college standpoint. <laughs> yeah, Like, seeing definitely. our old stomping grounds, I definitely enjoyed that. Um. And yeah, you're right. Hard House wasn't in at one point because the Bell Tower, right? Yeah. I bl- or the Soldiers Tower Soldiers was Tower. Hard House. Yeah, um, it was fun for that. Um, I don't think Canadian horror gets talked about as much as it could, and even mm-hmm. then, usually it's like they just stop at Cronenberg. Yeah. So I think yeah. this was a nice <laughs> thing to see to know a bit more about Canadian film history. Um, I appreciate that you didn't throw this ridiculously gory slasher at me <laughs> as like the first go. So thank you for that. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, I don't know. As someone who watches a lot more horror than me, where does this kind of rank for you personally, like, in the grand scheme of horror films that you like? Um, I mean, like, I see it more as, like, a pioneer of the genre than um, anything else. Like, I think that without this, we definitely wouldn't have movies like Halloween or Scream. And, like, when I found out that it was Canadian, like, that was crazy for me because, um, yeah, like you said, Canadian horror films especially aren't talked about a lot. I think that it's interesting that they took uh, Christmas to be the setting of this because 
Christmas is, you know, the opposite of Halloween. It's a very joyous time. So that's very stark um, as well. And it kind of kickstarts the horror film set during a holiday trend. Because yeah. Halloween did that. I guess the prom night films would have done that too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, Friday the 13th. That's the other one I'm thinking of. So, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it's really interesting how influential it was considering how little we hear about it now and also like even in the world outside of horror films it has like a prominent abortion uh plot line and it's seen in the the person that's considering an abortion is seen in a very like admirable light and this was before dirty dancing which is the only (laughs) other movie i could think of with a prominent (laughs) abortion plot line and that's that's a whole other like yeah. can of worms for the genre. <laughs> I mean, not it's not even the same genre at all. But yeah, wow. The theme of yeah. I was not expecting us to link Black Christmas to Dirty Dancing today. <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> so yeah, I think that has a lot of um, progressive uh, camera shots and tropes and storylines that um, it's not given the respect that it deserves for. Yeah, you know yeah. what? Probably. I probably agree. I mean, I need to see more to know for sure that it, like, <laughs> merits that compared to some other ones. But mm-hmm. I, I have a hunch that, yeah, and like, you're probably it, right. Yeah, it's crazy, too, that... Because the director, he went on to do A Christmas Story. Right! Another Christmas feature. Um, uh, a Christmas feature that overshadows this Christmas feature. Probably because it's actually family-friendly. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... Funny enough, I wouldn't argue they're very different in tone. A Christmas Story has a real weird tone to yeah, it. Yeah, Christmas Story has an odd tone. <laughs> it's like it's fun, but it's it, it's it's very much its own thing. And like knowing that it's the same director, I'm honestly not surprised. Mm-hmm. Like I, it does kind of fit with him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I guess that wraps up episode one. Yeah, I guess so. Oh my goodness, we already <laughs> finished episode one. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah thank you for joining us today um we're gonna sign off and look for more wickedly delightful things Mm -hmm. to watch and some nice bites to eat with it yeah (laughs) so we'll catch you guys next time bye bye